Hello, welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines. With the annual American Society for Virology meeting coming up in two weeks, we are talking with graduate students and postdoctoral researchers who will be attending the meeting. Great, uh, it's, it's good talking with you today. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Brittany Stewart. Um, I am a graduate student at UT Southwestern in Rob Orchard's lab. Um, I currently study uh, how phospholipid distribution within the cellular membrane affects viral entry. And um, I'm a first-generation college student, first-generation PhD student. Um, and so it's really exciting to be in science and to be here working on all this stuff. Great, great. And um, when you kind of think back, how did you first get interested in science or virology way back, sort of in grade school, high school? How, what started your interest? Yeah, so I always thought I wanted to be like a vet. And then I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. And then I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And I went through pretty much like all the possibilities. Um, and I always loved animals and everything. And it wasn't until high school when I actually had the opportunity to participate in some summer research, um, when I realized that all my interests were really kind of interconnected by a passion for science. And so I liked being a vet because I liked understanding why these animals are sick. And I liked um, medical stuff because I liked understanding how the body worked. And then, so, I, I still had like kind of this deep interest in the body and how our bodies function and they're so complex. And I thought that was so cool. And then when I got to college and I took a virology class, um, I learned about how simple they are and yet like how easily they can destroy every function in our body. And I thought that was so much cooler that like we're so complex and yet these little, depending on which side of the, uh, uh, argument you're on, non-living <laughs> microbes are able to really kind of manipulate our bodies. Um, I thought that was really interesting. So it was a long time coming, I think, my interest in science. Cool. Very cool. And can you describe a little to us sort of the path that you followed to get to where you were today? So how did you choose sort of the graduate program? And then how did you choose the specific lab that you ended up in? Yeah, so like I said, I'm a first generation college student. So I had no idea that research was a, a thing. I thought that medical doctors just like knew the things they knew. I don't know where I thought it came from. Um, but I, I really had no idea until I had, again, that opportunity in high school um, through the STARS program at UT Southwestern. Um, and that's where I really learned that research existed, but I still didn't think it was for me. Um, and so going into college, I thought I would be pre-med um, and I ended up trying to kind of boost my CV. I was both working in a virology lab and working at a hospital. And I kind of realized that while I was at the hospital, I was more interested in learning how to cure the people that were there, like how to provide, I guess, broader um, cures and have a broader impact than just treating one patient at a time. And I realized I was really thinking about the lab work while I was at the hospital. And I was like, maybe this isn't for me. 
Um, and I was really fortunate to have um, a really hands-on experience in undergraduate research. Um, and I was able to do an internship at the NIH. So it was just a really awesome opportunity that I kind of just fell into by taking all the opportunities that were given to me and just testing out the waters and seeing what I liked. And um, now I came to UT Southwestern, um, to be honest, because my family was here and I wanted to be close to them. Um, and Rob and I had actually started at UT Southwestern at the same time. And I was looking for labs to rotate in and people kept recommending Rob to me. And I really just fell in love with his mentor style. Um, he's a really kind person, a really kind PI. And I really liked the work as well. I like understanding how viruses really just tick what makes them work and our bodies kind of fight back. I thought that was quite interesting. So I'm really happy in the lab that I'm in. Right, right. And so can you tell us a little bit about the lab that you're in or what's the size like, what it's like, or like what's a typical day in your lab? Yeah, so I was actually the first graduate student to join his lab. So there was um, only three of us and then Rob at first. We grew quite a bit over the pandemic, surprisingly. Um, there's now what four graduate students and a lab manager. Um, we work on really understanding how um, kind of unappreciated uh, sides of the immune system are able to restrict viral infections. So maybe things we haven't thought of before as being antiviral or um, in my project's case, proviral as well. Um, and so we really try to separate ourselves away from just the interferon studies and stuff like that, yeah. Right, right. And can you tell us a little bit about this research then? So I, I assume you're, this is what you're going to be giving a talk on at ASV. Okay, so can you summarize a little bit about it and some of the take-home messages? Yeah, so um, prior to starting his own lab, Rob had done a couple of CRISPR screens, um, a CRISPR activation screen and a CRISPR knockout screen. And he found that two different components that kind of um, manipulate post-membrane um, lipid asymmetry were either proviral or antiviral. So he actually found, or I was able to show that um, TMEM30A, which is a component of lipase complexes, which kind of maintain lipid asymmetry, I found that that's proviral and it does seem to be linked to um, phosphatidylserine being on the outer leaflet of the cell, which is really exciting because we think that maybe in an ideal world, maybe viruses are detecting this PS on the outer leaflet. Um, and so they see, oh, that must be a dead cell. I should avoid that cell, um, which would be really interesting um, for viral biology. And then on the flip side, um, we found that um, a host scramblase is actually antiviral um, and has some antiviral properties. We're still trying to see if that's linked to this phospholipid distribution, um, but it'd be quite interesting if it was, especially if um, the case ended up that the cell is then able to manipulate its own bilayer in order to avoid viral infection. So that's what we're hoping. That's still what we're working on. Um, I've made quite a bit of progress, but still working to get there. 
Right. Uh, very cool. And can you tell our listeners a little bit um, about sort of for viruses, especially for envelope viruses, um, how important sort of lipid bilayers are? It's a little bit more, uh, it's a little different, I guess, for encapsulated viruses. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I didn't um, mention my work is with norovirus. So a non-enveloped virus, there has been a lot of work, which is really interesting, I think, especially with enveloped viruses um, with apoptotic mimicry, where they're um, cloaking themselves to look like a dead cell to get uptaken into the cell by PS recepting um, cells, which I think is quite interesting. This is the first time we've shown a connection between this with um, non-enveloped viruses, which I think is interesting. I do think the work with enveloped viruses is really cool, though, and it's that kind of thing that, like, really makes me excited about virology. And then sort of thinking more about this antiviral scramblase that you were talking about. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, if it turned out to be sort of a broad antiviral, um, I guess, pathway in a way, how would you actually use it for say a drug target, you know, thinking really big and long-term, how, how does one go about sort of establishing that or looking at that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm not sure completely down downstream, but it would be interesting if we could, using a drug, if we could target these scramblases, um, particularly ones that are not necessarily involved in apoptotic um, signaling. <laughs> we don't want the body to think all the cells are dead. Um, but I think it would be interesting if we could target these scramblases in order to transiently express PS um, in order to avoid viral infection or even clear cells that do have a viral infection already. Right, right. And are these processes like PS, are the levels of it regulated in the host? Are there external factors that kind of change how much PS you have in a cell? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's quite a few factors, depending on um, whether we're talking about flipases or flopases or scramblases. Um, so in, in most cells, they want the PS to be on the inner leaflet of the cell, and that's kind of going to be the basal state. Um, some cells, especially like immune cells, during immune signaling events, they can have more PS transiently expressed on the outer leaflet. Um, and then things like the scramblases are activated by like um, elevated calcium levels um, and different interferon stim uh, stimulation. Um, and so that can lead to greater levels of PS as well. I see. And what about things like diet or um, different, um, I don't know, even genetic backgrounds? So sort of like, um, uh, yeah, I guess people with like different genetic backgrounds, can you actually have different regulation of this pathway? That's interesting. I'm actually not sure. I, I think that diet would be really interesting to look into though. I really like the idea of looking at how um, human behavior and things we do in our daily lives can affect viral infection and even like our cell signaling through PS exposure and such. Um, but I'm, I'm not really sure on that. Yeah, yeah. I always ask that because we work on the microbiome, uh, uh, so we're we're always convinced the microbiome has something to do with everything. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it does. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a fair assessment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
Okay, well, great. That sounds very interesting. And we look forward to your talk at ASV. Um, I thought it was interesting to sort of ask a lot of the people how they've been faring in the past year and a half. So you sort of, it sounds like your lab has actually done fairly well, but what has it been like for you, both as a virologist and as a um, sort of a person? Yeah, it's been wild. Um, so I'm a third year graduate student. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I was actually going through the qualifying exam process. Um, so that was both beneficial and a bit detrimental. I think it, it was um, a little isolating to be working on quals all the time and to be at home, not able to like, you know, go out for a drink after you've worked quite hard on your proposal. Um, but it's been okay. Um, I'm definitely excited to be back in the lab and to see everyone again. Uh, it, it definitely took a toll on my mental health, social media, seeing how I, I, uh, the general population, I guess, reacts to virologists has been really quite hard on me. Um, so that's been difficult. I've had to kind of separate myself from social media so that I don't read these, I guess, harmful things. But other than that, it, it's been okay. I mean, it's been a tough road for all of us, of course. Yeah. And have you, a lot of people sort of talk about how, you know, a lot of now their family and their friends, you know, in the past year and a half suddenly have a much bigger appreciation or a bigger idea of what they actually do in a way like people know what a virologist is or they know something about virology. And so they've had to field a lot of questions. Has it been that way for you as well? Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's been a lot of um, questions uh, targeted towards me about things that I don't necessarily know about. And I have to just, you know, direct people towards the CDC website and everything. Um, but yeah, it's been quite interesting to see, I guess, people have a greater appreciation for what we do, because they actually kind of see us on the front line, instead of just in the lab, like we usually are. So that's been, it's been good and bad, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I guess, um, so you, you obviously still have a ways to go in your um, PhD, but um, any thoughts about sort of what you would like to do in the future? Are you still thinking about academics or industry or teaching? What, what, are, what is sort of your interests or your long-term interests, I guess, at this stage? Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out still. I, when I joined graduate school, I thought I wanted to um, just run a lab at a smaller university, maybe a state school or something. Um, I'm really passionate about having an impact on other students who are kind of like me, who are first generation students or who had no idea research existed. Um, unfortunately, my kind of research interests are a little, um, heavier than what maybe that kind of lab could support. So I'm trying to figure out how to balance my really passion to help these students um, and also research the things I'm interested in. So I'm still trying to figure out how to balance that. It's been a bit difficult. Okay, well, great. Thank you very much for talking with us today. And as I said, we will look forward to your talk at ASB and uh, good luck with your research. Perfect. Thank you very much. I look forward to it. This has been Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Backright, and thanks for listening.